When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, I will be chatting with Dr. Nikki Pensack. Dr. Pensack is a clinical psychologist, author, and researcher specializing in treating postpartum mental health, anxiety, OCD, and depression. She provides evidence-based therapy to her patients and is certified in postpartum mental health. She also serves on the expert review board for Parents Magazine. Her new book, Rattled, How to Calm New Mom Anxiety with the Power of the Postpartum Brain, is now available for pre-order. It is published by Norton and Countryman Press and will be released in time for Mother's Day 2024. In today's episode, we dive into a conversation about matrescence and the wonders of the maternal brain. Basically, to sum it up, mothers are freaking amazing. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone. Today on the show, we have Dr. Nikki Pensack. Welcome. Thank you, Lindsay, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So as we were briefly chatting before we started, I found you originally through your TED Talk. And, you know, as a postpartum mom of four, I found this TED Talk to be really empowering for the person who is newly or even, you know, months and years out postpartum to realize how incredibly empowering our bodies are and how they adapt to life outside of motherhood. And once we have a child on the outside, like it is just, it's so, it was so fascinating to me. So I reached out to you and it was such great timing because you also just came out with your own book, but I would love for you to start off by just telling us what your inspiration was for your TED talk. Like, why did you want that to be your topic? That's a great question. I wanted it to be my talk because I wanted to really empower mothers and talk about the power of the maternal brain. I think that we have this notion of mommy brain that everyone is familiar with, and it's a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. And I would rather uh, give the full picture of the maternal brain and how brilliant it is, because I experienced it firsthand from going to rock bottom to thriving. And I'm a clinical psychologist that works with mothers every day. And I try to you know, empower them and educate them on how brilliant their brain is and the opportunities that come with early motherhood and the continued opportunities that come through parenthood. And so I really want them to understand how prolific this period is and to really give it the attention it deserves. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, I I love so much about this is I have rarely heard people talk about the maternal brain in the context of it being powerful and like a new beginning as opposed to, oh, well, once you have kids, you know, you're not going to be able to think of 
you know, your to-do list the next day because you're just so rattled and have so many things on your, oh, my, it's just use the name of your book. How funny is that? Did. I didn't even do that Thank on purpose. You. <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> you're just so consumed and and motherhood in the very beginning, very overwhelming, you know? And everybody always says, like you said, mommy brain, you're going to forget everything. You're not going to be able to remember things like you used to. You're going to have so much on your plate. And, you know, it can be hard for us to kind of navigate that in the especially in the beginning stages. And I I loved that your TED Talk came from a place of, no, like we need to change the way that we think about this because our brains are so powerful. And when we start to think that way, we start to act that way, you know, like, oh, well, you know, the reason why I'm forgetting all these things is just because I have, you know, I have kids, you know, and this is what happens. And I even remember myself doing that after I had my first kid and I went back to work after a couple months, I was like, I can't remember what I'm treating this condition with. Like, I can't even remember. Oh, it's because I had a kid, you know, like, like, it's like your automatic excuse when it's like, that's probably not even at all what's, (laughs) you know? So I love that you had this this positive spin to it. And I would love for you to share like what you've found from experts in the field over the years to be the most fascinating thing about our brain and how it changes after birth. Well, one, you know, researchers at Yale right now have established that becoming a mother is its own developmental phase. And that to me is just really exciting because it really gives the attention you know, the phase deserves. It's like adolescence, right? But adolescence spans for many years, but it is a developmental phase where there's prolific brain changes. The same thing happens in motherhood, but it's a much briefer time period. You know, you're in adolescence, Mm. you're in adolescence for a much longer period of time. So it's all condensed in, in early motherhood. And there are brain changes that happen very quickly. And then the psychological changes kind of lag, right? And they, they go a little slower and, and they sometimes don't match up. And I think that's where we also get into trouble. And I talk a, a little bit about that in my book. But, you know, going back to what you were saying about really empowering mothers, I mean, mothers have always been swimming against the current, right? So we don't, we're between the mental load and lack of resources, there are so many roadblocks. And right now there is the maternal mental health crisis where one in three mothers experience postpartum mental health disorders. And so we want the process to go right because when it goes right, it goes really right, right? Our mm-hmm. brains, our maternal brains are brilliant, but there's just so many roadblocks that get in the way. And so my mission is to sort of educate on the actual roadblocks, how to remove them and kind of set yourself up for this process going as right as it can, because, because it's really amazing what your brain can, what your brain can do. So you kind of briefly mentioned in the very beginning there, basically like the definition of matrescence. And I, I, when you said this word, I was like, what is she talking about? And I would love for you to kind I, I love the, first of all, it's like this empowering word. I love that word. And so you briefly kind of described it. Can you dive in just a little bit deeper just to tell us exactly what that means? And yeah, I would love for you to do that. Okay, so matrescence is simply this developmental phase where a woman becomes a mother. So it's the transition to motherhood. And during matrescence, the maternal brain experiences profound neuroplasticity and parallels the prolific growth that occurs in adolescence, but in a much shorter time. And the identity transition to becoming a mother is constant and evolves throughout a lifetime, but there's a dramatic peak in early motherhood. And so basically, the maternal brain is just reorganizing and fine tuning itself through these processes uh, in neuroplasticity, like synaptic pruning and other 
you know, technical terms, but it's basically to refine your brain to give moms a leg up in caregiving. I always like to say that it's like Marie condoing your mind to give you, you know, an advantage in mothering. So I think the coolest part about this is like the neuroplasticity part. And so for those that are listening that are like, what the heck is, what are you talking Like, what is neuroplasticity? Can you just, you know, kind of talk about it in a way that's like, oh yeah, that's really cool. Instead of like, you know, you don't have to use scientific terms or anything. Okay. All right. So basically it's how your brain refines itself, but there's, you know, hormone driven and biological driven neuroplasticity, but there's also environmental neuroplasticity. And in early motherhood, you have all of it at play. So basically your physiology is changing as a mother. So you're, you know, the biology of your brain, some parts are getting bigger, some smaller, some are moving faster. There's all these new neural connections because in early motherhood, it's all new learning and you're getting a surge of hormones and biological changes, right? But then you also have this baby and you're learning your baby and you're interacting with your baby. And then you have all these experiences in early motherhood that will also influence the plasticity. And so if you have things like postpartum or birth trauma, that can really uh, affect you know, the plasticity processes mm-hmm. early on, right? And and kind of color that process. And so the way that you engage with your environment either facilitates this neuroplasticity or can sort of, I say like blunt it in a mm-hmm. way, right? And so we want to make sure that we nurture these brain changes because they are incredible, but there are lots of things that can get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm I'm listening to this, I'm thinking to myself, not only does the mother have this, you know, neuroplasticity, but I would feel like the partner, whoever that might be, would also experience some of this as well once they have a child to take care of, right? Did they have they done any research on that yet? I don't know. Oh, Yes, absolutely. So while the maternal brain changes are a bit more pronounced because of the biological advantages, fathers experience brain changes too and neuroplasticity. And there's a lot of good research around this caregiving network in your brain. And fathers actually have better mentalizations in the social Mm -hmm. realm, right? So they're picking up on the baby's cues and they have to work harder because it's not, you know, biologically driven, but it is being influenced, you know, by the baby and they have to work a little harder, but that's also being refined. Right, right. And then mothers are great at mentalization also, you know, anticipating the baby's needs and whatnot. Yeah. So there are lots of great changes, you know, for both, for parents. I mean, God, you're just learning so much so quickly, right? And so your brain is really developing at at a rapid rate when you become a parent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and you know, they always say too, when you have your baby, you'll just know what to do. And it's funny because over time we've evolved this way. You know, our brains have just evolved this way where we have a child and we automatically kind of just know kind of what to do. I mean, I had no experience before I had my first child. I wasn't big into babysitting. I wasn't somebody who had a ton of nieces and nephews or anything to take care of, you know? So my first experience with a baby was my own experience. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified. I was like, I don't even know how to change a diaper. Like I really don't. And then the second the baby came into the world, I was just like, oh, like I'm just going to do this. Like it, there was nothing. And you know, it's not like you have to read, you know, I think sometimes, especially now with everything at our fingertips, you know, with like the internet and social media, we hear about all these books and podcasts and, and it's all great. And there's some that are really, really important to, you know, to read and listen to and all of that. But I do think a lot of this is you will have that baby and you will you will do such a great job 
just knowing nothing going into it, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I lo- I really like to reassure parents and mothers specifically that, you know, there's this myth of maternal instinct that as soon as the baby comes, you'll be immediately bonded and you'll and you'll know what to do. And I know you say that that's what happened immediately, but really it's about trial and error and about learning your baby. And you will oh, yeah. rapidly because you have to. And mothers are forced to rise to these relentless challenges. And so it really is about that. And, you know, learning, learning. Yeah. And every baby's so different, you know, and so what you do with one, it's not going to maybe work with that next one, you're gonna have to figure it out. (laughs) And you do, I know, you do, you figure it out eventually, you know? Yeah, they're all so different. I would love for you to share a little bit about your journey into motherhood and kind of like what you thought maybe would happen and maybe what did or didn't happen once you had the baby. Like, I'd love to hear more of your personal journey, if you don't mind sharing and or maybe even journeys of people that you've taken care of. Sure. Yeah. So in my personal journey, you know, I think like a lot of mothers, I went into into it thinking, God, I would just figure it out and that people have been doing it, you know, for, you know, uh, centuries. And so I would just know how to be a mother. And there wasn't really much discussion beforehand about becoming a mother and what would that what that would be like. There was a lot of discussion about what the baby would be like and what what to prepare for with the baby and get all the products and, you know, the the schedules and all of that. But there was really little discussion about how I would develop as a mother. And I think along the way, I kind of craved that development because I realized it was such a profound change in my life. I mean, everything changed, right? My identity, my uh, the things I used to enjoy became different. You know, my and I talk about this in the book, how like your pleasure center changes and expands so much when you have a baby, but also just the type of things that I was interested in, as well as uh, my priorities, just my whole outlook. So many things changed when I became mm-hmm. a mother and it was, you know, a little unexpected, but also just the profound psychological preoccupation and being responsible for another living being was just such a huge transition Mm -hmm. for me. So I always say that, you know, I have two children, ages six and almost four now. And so, you know, the first transition was really the transition to me becoming a mother. And then the second transition was a little bit easier in that sense, but also brought with it a whole host of different Mm -hmm. challenges, uh, because I expected it to be more of the same, but it was an entirely new baby and an entirely different process. And the world was different when I had my second as well. So my second was born during COVID. Uh, My fourth was born during COVID. It's so it was such a absolutely different experience, right? It was like, I mean, totally crazy. I mean, just the social aspects of everything. I mean, it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, I feel so much for the mothers that are becoming first-time moms during this time. Because this is not – like everything that you had for resources prior to COVID was stripped in half once, it, you know, during COVID. Because I wasn't even allowed to have my husband in there with me and until afterwards. Oh I mean, I was eventually, but – you know, it was like I, we had to jump through all these hoops. Like I got rushed in there from my appointment and they were like, well, he can't come up here until he's, you know, tested and masked and all this stuff. And, you know, it's like you want to be there with your partner. And, you know, I think in, in many cases in the very beginning of COVID, they weren't even allowing that, you know. 
And it was just, it was so, so challenging. And you couldn't even have your partner at your appointments to see ultrasounds and such. So yeah, I mean, trying to navigate that. It was a very, it was a very scary time. I remember, Um, and you know, and this is why, you know, the the research is showing that, you know, a lot of first time mothers during COVID are now having their second babies and all of that unprocessed trauma is re-traumatizing them. And also the rates of postpartum increased. It used to be one in five. And now the rates that are coming out after COVID are one in three. Oh, yeah, I bet. Mothers experience postpartum depression and anxiety. So I liked it. You know, it was like every safety net was removed during that time. It was terrifying. And I found it terrifying as well, even being an expert treating postpartum mm-hmm. and an expert in treating anxiety and depression and kind of feeling like I've already done this before and I and I kind of got the you know the rug pulled out from under me even more right. so during during right. yeah well it's yeah. like you know I you know as a mom you feel so alone anyways not even first time mom but second third fourth time mom you know you 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 feel alone especially in those like first couple weeks months where you're trying to navigate the new balance of everything right like what is life like now that we have two three or four you know like whatever that trans you know that transfer right. of balance is and during covid who are you going to talk to? You know, it's like you can't go out and see anybody. You can't do anything social. You can't be inside anywhere with other people. And so anything that you might have done with your first child or whatever you were doing before, going to mom groups or going to the library or just going to the grocery store just to see other people became a non-existent occurrence. And of course, with a new baby, you're not going to be, you weren't bringing that baby anywhere because you were terrified to bring them anywhere because you were afraid they're going to get COVID, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I can only imagine that, you know, the rates of depression and anxiety and all of that kind of like soared through the roof because, you know, it's like, what are your outlets? I, I can't, I can't even, you know, imagine. I mean, at that point I was, you know, I had several friends that I knew that I could always contact and things like that. But when you're navigating first time, you know, motherhood and all that, it's so hard. I know. So hard. But I think the one good thing that's come out of COVID was that there are, there have been an, you know, an increase in Mm -hmm. virtual resources, right? And so I know that early on, that was where I even started my professional like Instagram name, because I wanted to just you know, I was basically just reposting everyone else's virtual resources just to get the word out. And so I think that was, that was one kind of silver lining. Not to mention what I've also talked about is post-traumatic growth. You know, COVID was a global trauma for, I think, everyone and especially for new mothers and mothers of littles. And so I think going through that trauma, there, there have been, you know, silver linings in terms of, increased resiliency, newfound meaning mm-hmm. and purpose, because I think COVID kind of forced us to reevaluate things and to prioritize things and do things in an entirely different yeah. way. I know. I always talk with my friends about, can you imagine in, I don't know, 2060, and we're talking with our kids and maybe their kids about just like COVID and our experience during that time? Like I always, I think back to that and I'm like, in 50 years from now, I'm going to look back at this and be like, wow, like that was a wild ride because I, you know, like you said, so many of us are still haven't quite unpacked what occurred, right? Emotionally, physiolog- right. physiologically, right. like all of that. We haven't yeah. quite got there yet. <laughs> like, um, And I think it's going to yeah. take a long time. And, and when we look back, it's going to be like, wow, we 
made it through that and you know and and kids that were going to school and then automatically like got cut off from school were doing virtual school and the resiliency of these kids that just like in a second Agreed. were like we can't see our friends we can't do sports we can't go to school you know things that they grew up doing yeah. i mean of all ages that is so tough and like to make it through that and to then look back and be like oh my gosh like i you know i was able to do that and it's just going to be it's going to be really really interesting like i'm looking forward to just kind of experiencing that in a different way where it's like you're able to look back years and years and years later and think about it in a whole different light yeah crazy and you have four children so you are like spanning across developmental phases i would yeah imagine. yeah so when covid so when covid hit two of my kids were in actually one of mine was in going into kindergarten that next year and then uh, we had a second grader. And then the other two were like, you know, obviously one was just born and then one was in preschool. But I ended up, you know what I did? You know what I did? I homeschooled what? for those first three months uh-huh. of that school uh-huh. year. And it was legitimately my okay. worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine. I was like, with a new baby. We, so we had gotten COVID in our house in the beginning of March 2020. <laughs> Literally, okay. my husband was like the first person to get it because he... Works in the ED as well as I do, and and he, you know, got it from a patient. Uh, but and so I was okay. pregnant at the time, and of course my OB was like, "We don't want to see you, but we're also really concerned about you at the same time." <laughs> you know, like right, okay, right, we're really right. not going to do wow. much about it because we're too scared on our end. You know, and I remember I had to go in like multiple times for ultrasounds because they were worried about the weight of the baby. Because, you know, I think in the early stages, they really didn't know, but they wanted to make sure that the growth was tracking appropriately afterwards because we are seeing some issues with that, you know, now. But we didn't really know much in the very beginning. Like, I had no idea. Like, is my baby going to have 15 toes? I don't know. (laughs) Like, you think about these things. I mean, everything was already anatomically there um, when I, you know, my whole house got sick. But I ended up homeschooling because I was terrified that our baby was going to get it if my kids were in school, you know? So I did that. And then by the time November rolled around, my oldest was uh, begging me. She's like, mom, listen, I love you. Thanks for trying to teach me at home, but I got to get out of (laughs) here. Like, let me out of here. Let me out of jail, please. Yes. Yeah. My kindergartner, she could care less probably. Like she didn't mind either way, but she she right. is not someone that's teachable like by a parent. So there was no learning going on. Right, right. She could care less whether she was in school or out of school. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. But right. I mean, yeah, hands wow. down, these stay-at-home moms that teach their kids full-time, like I bow to you. I don't know how you do it. I, I really don't. I really don't know how you teach Absolutely. your own kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a wild yeah. ride. Yeah. This podcast episode is brought to you by Apostrophe. As I've gotten older, I've struggled more and more with rosacea. I always tend to have those rosy cheeks, face, and photos. And I'm hoping that with a little help from Apostrophe, it may be less noticeable. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized skin treatment for your unique skin. With Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear your skin. If you are interested, it's as easy as filling out an online consultation about your skin goals and medical history. Then you snap a few selfies and a dermatology provider will create a customized treatment plan just for you. 
Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne, hormonal acne to facial acne, and even butt, chest, and back acne. My treatment goals are to lessen redness and dark spots and even out my skin's texture. My service experience was quick, yet thorough, and my prescription arrived at my doorstep in just a few days. I am already starting to see a significant improvement in my skin's redness and texture. Best of all, this is all done from the comforts of your home without having to leave to the dermatologist's office or pharmacy. Perfect for the busy mom. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, and click get started. Then use our code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, at sign up, and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you to Apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. And so you and your husband were on the on the front lines. And, you know, it's interesting because I had the same, a similar experience. My husband is a physician as well. And I remember he was on an international doctor's chat. And I remember, oh, you know, in February, mm-hmm. things were, he was getting these messages about, you know, Greece and Italy. And I would just follow him around the house, terrified, waiting right. for updates because our baby was in the NICU at that point. And I was just, I was terrified. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, you, you would constantly be looking for updates, you know, of like what was happening next. And of course, you know, things like this take so much time. Like you're not going to find out anything right. about anything for months and months and months, years, you know, where we still, we still oh, don't exactly. know so yeah. much about COVID. Right. And I think, you know, the implications like long-term wise, you know, we're not going to know for many, 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 many years, but yeah. Right. And Hindsight's of 2020, but during that time when you were looking forward, like there was so much uncertainty. I think that was the scariest part. Yeah. It's like, what is this? What is this going to do? What is this going to look like? I mean, I just thought we were all going <laughs> to so die. So. I. I think too. Yeah. And I think so much of that is like, you know, being in the medical field, right? And just, and like you said, hearing yeah. from your husband, like what was happening in other countries, you're just like, well, shit, like we're next. <laughs> I mean, I right, truly, exactly. we were filling out our wills. <laughs> when my husband got COVID, I like stuck him up in a room. Oh, I wore an yeah. N95 for 14 days straight. My kids all got sick. I ended up uh-huh. testing negative. I don't know how, I mean, mm-hmm. I probably did have it, but I just didn't have any symptoms. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I was like, okay, we got to fill out our wills. So we were on the couch one of those nights when he was sick, both in N95s. He was on like the other side of the room and we were like filling them out online. And then we ended up not even getting, like we didn't have anybody to sign them like and, and put the stamp on them to make them official. So like, we just walked around with these things and we were like, because, uh, you know, of course that time, no, no one was doing any of that. They wouldn't allow anybody to be in person for anything. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, well, well how am I going to make this living right. will official? But isn't that like surreal that you were in that spot and here you were, oh, with, yeah. you know, oh, with your with your babies and being like, wow, we, yeah. we actually I mean, it's like it's like at the front of mine. And I think as a new mom, you know, or moms of littles, you think about that because your kids are so physically dependent on you. So I think it's just natural to think about that stuff. But, you know, COVID really. Right. That. Right. And you talk <laughs> like, about resiliency. It's right like. You know, looking yeah. back, it's like, oh, shoot, like, we really took that on and, and made it through and made yeah, it through, you know, absolutely. and we're there for our kids. And so we should all be like, so proud of ourselves for, for, you know, keeping yeah. it somewhat together and making it through. And not, and not much rattles you now because you've been exactly. through so much. You're like, well, at least I'm not <laughs> locked in my house. <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So back to matrescence. Um, what are some yes. what are some common things that uh, us as moms 
that we experience and that might challenge us, you know, physiologically and neurologically? So, I th- you know, the subjective experience of mommy brain phenomena is is real. So you are going to feel more foggy and forgetful, you know, and lose track of thoughts. I mean, that that experience is is very real. Uh, I think the interesting thing about it is that when you are actually the research, when they're testing mothers' memory functioning, there's there's really not a lot of strong evidence for you know, large differences between mothers and non-mothers. So there's really weak support for this mommy brain phenomena. And really, we want to think about, you know, it's probably more due to the mental load and your brain really adjusting to all of the new responsibilities that you have. So it's like making room and shifting things Mm -hmm. around and it's a transition and you want to be compassionate with yourself and curious about it and kind of take that Mm non-judgmental stance, right? And then also the lack of sleep. And so, you know, one of the most important things I tell my, you know, new mothers and is to really protect sleep. I really bring partners into when I work with patients into session to talk about sleep schedules and really protecting a good chunk of sleep for new moms because one, it protects your mental health and then also um, it kind of helps your brain heal. And so, so we want to, we want to protect mother's sleep at, at all costs. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, what's funny too, and I would love to know more about this. Maybe I'll make this a topic at some point, but you know, you get very little sleep in those first couple weeks, first, you know, months, really the first year. But it's funny because now all of my kids, they go into their rooms, you know, set between 7 and 8 p.m. And they're in there till 7. I'm like, you have a clock in there. You're not coming out until 7. Like, that's our protected time. And then, you know, they can get up. They can read. They can play with each other in their room. But, like, it's a you stay in your room type of thing. And so it's it's just – it's been great. Like, I, I feel like I'm in that sweet spot right now. So I'm trying to soak it up. But if I have one night, if I have one night, right, like my my kid was sick last week. And so whenever I know she's getting sick, when she wakes up with like multiple nightmares throughout the night and she'll come in and wake us up. And there was one night where I was like, I don't think I slept. Like I, I you know, I probably did in like very short intervals, but I do mm-hmm. so poorly on one night of unrestful sleep. I don't understand how I ever survived with four kids. Like I truly don't. Like I'm like, I don't understand. Like do, do our bodies compensate somehow? Because I can no longer do that. And I think maybe our bodies, just, you know, they're just used to functioning on so little sleep that it's it's somehow doable. But now that I've gotten sleep for a couple of years, I it's like I can't go back. I like suffer so oh, much right. now. Does that happen to you? That definitely happens to me. And I too think about those early phases. And whenever I'm tempted to think about having another one, I'm like, no way. I can't <laughs> go back to that. You know, it's like it's like you get through it, you survive, and there are certain things that can help, right? But there's sort of a ceiling effect of like how good it can be because you really are running yes. on much less sleep than you're used to. And now you know, you have older children. So you're being pulled in lots of different directions and lots of different still relentless demands and just adding another to the mix. It's like exponential, right? right? And it just hits you so much right, harder. Exactly. It's like impossible. I'm like, I I, I don't know. I, I survived before. Yeah. What is wrong with me? Like, you can do this. I'm like, no, I really can't. I need to have seven to eight hours of sleep <laughs> uninterrupted, preferably. <laughs> yes. So yes, when we I talk agree. about matrescence, now, does that still apply? Like, and I don't really know much about the research. So does that still apply as our kids kind of change, you know, developmentally 
as they age, does that change for us as well? Like, so when our kids start to get older and they enter into teenagehood and does our brain still kind of shift with that and have they, have they researched that at all? At all? I mean, of course, you know, your brain is always changing. I just think that in the beginning, when you become a mother, there's just such a dramatic peak because of all the physiological right. changes and the hormones, and, the hormones mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, and it's been such a short period of time and it's such a drastic shift to go from no children to yeah. one child, yeah. right? And so it's this identity, it's psychological, it's biological. But, you know, when they're teenagers, it's like, well, you're already a parent. And you've kind of gone through that surge of hormones and surge of neuroplastic changes. But yes, our brain is plastic over time and all experience. There are tons of life experiences that can, you know, influence the plasticity of our brain. So even therapy changes your brain. And I tell my patients that all the time and even mothers or, you know, uh, men, women of all ages that when you're, when you're doing the work in therapy, you're really working to change your brain and, yeah, I have some patients tell me, you know, that they, when they know that they're, it's called synaptic pruning, like shedding useless neural Love networks, it. when they know they're about to go down that old yeah. road of like feeling triggered and making a bad choice, right? When they make another choice and go in a different direction, that's like building the a pathway. new yeah. road, right? And, and and that's a new neural pathway. And so we want to reinforce that and kind of let those old not helpful neuropathways kind of, you know, uh, get like grow over with like trees and weeds and like, you know, and and eventually they just Mm -hmm, break off. mm -hmm. Right. But, but we're building new roads in our brains. And so that's like the metaphor that I like to use. Yeah. I love that. This podcast episode is brought to you by Factor. Factor delivers ready to eat, dietitian approved meals right to your doorstep to make eating better every day easy. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup is what hooked me from the start. As a busy mom of four, this makes life so much easier for me. You can choose from over 35 different options, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, protein plus, and more. Aside from their incredibly convenient two-minute meals, Factor also has snacks, smoothies, midday bites, and more that you can add on to your weekly order. These options are great for on the go. A few of my favorite meals so far have been the shredded chicken taco bowl that punches 44 grams of protein and the roasted garlic chicken that has about 40 grams of protein. If you need a week off or two, no problem. Factor makes it easy to pause or schedule your deliveries at any time. Personally, I love to get meals when we have busier weeks and I'm unable to cook. You can head over to factormeals.com slash lindsay50, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y 50, and use the code lindsay50 to get 50% off. That's code lindsay50, at factormeals.com slash lindsay50 to get 50% off. The code and link will also be in my show notes. Okay, so you wrote this new book called Rattled. So I would love to talk to you about what inspired you to write it. Obviously, this fascination with matrescence and all of that, like I get that. But you know, what, what made you want to make that the topic? And then what are the main takeaways from the book? Okay, great. So in my academic career, I worked in a lot of academic medical centers in research. And I worked with, I used to specialize in medical psychology. And I still do to some extent, but my research was focused on working with patients with cancer and transplant and really and in palliative care. And I feel like I kept working with patients that were that got sicker and sicker and and then, and then when I was working with these patients, it was interesting. I, I started noticing 
a different type of patient. So the silent patient in the room, which is what we call the caregivers of those patients. And I became fascinated with helping the caregivers better support the Mm. patient. And there's some great research out there that's now investigating, you know, if the caregivers take better care of themselves, how does that impact patient outcomes? And so long story short, that was my academic career in research. And I developed a stress management intervention evidence-based for caregivers of patients with advanced Mm -hmm. illness like cancer. And then I became a mother. And I realized in my academic career, one, I was sort of straddling two worlds. I was doing my academic research, but then I also had a private practice that was booming with patients. and, And I loved both. But I realized that as a mother, you know, mothers are the ultimate caregiver. And how do I translate the research that we have on helping caregivers thrive and take better care of themselves and dispelling this caregiver myth that, you know, there's this martyrdom, like the, you know, the more the mother suffers, the better mother Mm -hmm. she is to her Mm -hmm. babies, right? The more she sacrifices. And so I noticed that that was sort of pervasive in our modern uh, motherhood culture. And, you know, just a light bulb went off and I was like, wait a minute, we need more resources for mothers. And so I translated a lot of the work that I did with caregivers to working with mothers and then becoming a mother myself also kind of piqued my interest. And I was just enthralled in like this process. I think identity changes and wanting to better support mothers in this, you know, one opportunity I went through postpartum twice. First time was much more mild than the second time, you know, hitting and going to thriving and sort of with the vision of hindsight, you know, the traumatic growth, the solid post mental health care, and talking about the neuroplastic changes, that, uh, you know, a picture kind of came together from it's like, wait, I connect the dots here. And so I started delving into research and matrescence and kind of, and the book came came out and uh, it was, it, it was amazing. So main takeaways from the book. There are many, but the major ones are one to establish postpartum mental health care as soon as possible. I tell women uh, as soon as they pee on that stick, uh, please find yourself a therapist and prescriber that specializes in postpartum mental health care. Even if you don't think you will need it, set up your appointments postpartum so that you can have check-ins at various time points that coincide with uh, riskier postpartum vulnerable Mm -hmm. time points. And if you don't need it, great, but you have it there because you don't want to scramble last minute because sometimes it takes months to get in with a doctor. Plus, it can take several tries to figure out a doctor that you like. And so you want to establish care as soon as possible. And it's not just for clinically depressed patients. Uh, You may not have a crisis, Mm -hmm. but it can also be helpful to have you know, just an objective person that you can bounce things off of and check in with at various Mm -hmm. time points. Also, I, I work with a lot of mothers with high functioning anxiety and depression. So on the surface, everything is, everything looks good. Uh, But once you scratch the surface, you realize that they're suffering a lot more than they need to. And I think that that is the culture of motherhood, right? And also the imperfectionism. So my book really talks about ways to combat that as well as managing the transition to motherhood and how to navigate things like mom shame, mom guilt, mom rage, relationship changes, and how to understand brain changes, and how to harness all of this transition with matrescence to your advantage. And really do it, really from a place of empowerment. I want mothers to understand what they're working with, the power that they have, 
and how to remove certain roadblocks and to sort of facilitate this incredible opportunity for growth. So I have a couple a couple of questions for you. And I just wanted to additionally say that, you know, the fact that we are able to grow life and sustain that. I'm actually reading this book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Eve. And I'm only about like, gosh, it's really long, but it's it's a researcher who basically studied like what's happened to the maternal body like evolutionally over time. And so she even talks about how, mm-hmm. you know, we were not meant to grow we were not meant to grow inside a womb. We were meant to kind of like lay eggs, protect those eggs. And a lot of animals still do that, right? They lay their eggs and they don't stay there all the time. You know, some of them leave and they come back and they protect them. And over time, they figured out better ways to do that. And to carry around, you know, this fetus in your womb for nine months, it puts your body through so many different challenges. And it is hard, right? Like it is so, so, so hard. And I don't feel like we always get all of that credit. The fact that you were able to grow life inside your own body, right? And all of your resources were basically going to that fetus first, right? Like we will deplete ourselves for, and this right. this goes, you know, into the exactly. rest of your life. Like we deplete ourselves first. We give our child everything, right? right? And You are doing that from the very second that you become pregnant. And just how incredibly empowering is it that you can freaking do this, first of all, like kudos, like that's insane that our bodies can do that. And then afterwards, our body changes so that we are able to raise life for the next 18 plus years, right? Like underneath our own roof. <laughs> like, I just think it's really, really cool. And I love that you, you know, your TED Talk was based on this and that your book kind of really helps to empower us in that so much of the societal pressures and the lack of resources, especially here in the US, they can really, you know, get you down. And you can start to think of motherhood somewhat negatively because of that. But I love that this kind right. of lets us see motherhood through this new light of empowerment. And like, well, I mean, like, I feel like a badass, you know what I mean? That I can give birth to this child and my brain is going to do whatever it needs to do to adapt to this. And then I can handle literally anything, you know? Yeah. Right. I think it's just great. The other thing I wanted to mention was I could not agree with you more about just setting up a mental health appointment appointments before and after you have your baby because again like you said it can be really difficult especially given where you might live your location finding a therapist that you also enjoy to talk to and click with so mm-hmm. kind of setting that up even if you're not even pregnant right like I, I think everybody can benefit from having access to a therapist and establishing establishing that as soon as possible is really key because again, like you said, it can be, it can take a little while to say, oh, you know, like I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm clicking or driving with this person. Like I need to try somebody else. And so, and it might be another couple of weeks or a month or two before you get in with someone different and, you know, insurance and all of that. So you just want to take that first step and jump in and, and, and get a therapist. I think another thing, another positive spin to all of this with, you know, the increase in social media presence and internet and all of that, I think it's becoming 
less stigmatized to have a therapist, right? People are like more willing, I would say, to reach out to one Mm -hmm. because we're Mm -hmm. talking about it more, which I think is so important. So I hope, yeah, I hope if you take one thing away from this whole episode, it's that everyone should have a therapist, just have one set up and have them, you know, their phone number in your phone in case you need it someday, you know, like, I, I think it's just amazing to have that resource at your fingertips. Because if you don't have one, it can be really frustrating to navigate all of that when you're in a time of need, right? Like if you wait until you're like, shoot, I'm super depressed. I don't know what to do about it. And I don't even know where to begin and who to call, you know? Well, right. Because when you're in crisis or when you're depressed or anxious, you can't think clearly, you can't problem solve. So it's going to be much harder to sort of put that all together and figure Mm -hmm. it out in the moment. So you want to have those safeguards set up. Plus, we're just clearly doing a really poor job as a society and as, you know, a medical profession in in catching these people. We're not Mm -hmm. catching them. So clearly, and unfortunately, the onus still falls on mothers to set up their postpartum mental health care. And so unfortunately, right now, it, it does fall on mothers. So it is, you know, it's the reality and we can be mad about it. I'm certainly mad about it, but it is the reality. And so we need to, you know, I, I, I'd like to empower mothers, but I also take into account the many things that are a detriment in mm-hmm. our society, right? And the things that, you know, we could benefit from, but when you have a baby, that it can't be your mission. You have to work with your world and what you can control, right? right? And so in the book, I explain uh, I talk about these things because they're important, but I also explain that the difference between things that are in your control and out of your control and what is best to focus your energy on, especially as a mother postpartum right. and, and, and really how to conserve that energy and, and harness it in the way that it's going to best serve right. you. The last thing I wanted to ask you with regards to finding someone that works for you that's underneath whatever type of insurance you may have, or even if you have none. So is there like a a resource that you typically point people to that, you know, they can quickly put in like maybe where they live and therapists will pop up and it'll say like what they do or do not accept for insurance? So I would go to Postpartum Support International. They have a list of providers that specialize in postpartum and in each state. And they also have virtual support groups. They have a support group for everything, but they have a lot of resources there. And then I also think you can always go to your, uh, you can go to psychology today and look for providers that take your insurance. You can filter by that, but you really want to get someone that specializes in postpartum because I I have patients all the time that come to me uh, that were either misdiagnosed or their symptoms Mm, were just framed in a different way. A lot of providers think that you know, there is this culture of motherhood and martyrdom. And it's like, well, this is part of motherhood. It's supposed to be hard. It's like, wait, no, you don't actually know what you're looking at. This is actually the postpartum OCD, right? So you want you, you, it's really integral to get a provider that specializes in postpartum. So two questions for you. The first question is, if you could give mothers one piece of advice, one piece, that's it, of advice, what would be? set up a postpartum <laughs> mental health care plan. Yeah. I mean, I think, honestly, I, I swear, I'm just like, that's going to account for most of the variants. I'm speaking like a researcher because I'm like, we need to capture, you know, what is going to have the, the, the most impact on the most amount of mothers. And that is the one piece I would say would do the most good for the most yes. mothers. Absolutely. So that's okay. my message. I love it. And then the last <laughs> question is, if you can make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? 
oh my gosh, is this a real meal or a it can fantasy be, meal? That no, I would it's love a real meal, but eat. I've had people say McDonald's or, or pizza. <laughs> so like, it don't think too hard. Like it could be anything that's your go-to. Like, okay, I only have 30 minutes tonight. Like, what am I going to put on the table that everyone's going to eat? It's going to be salmon and pasta and either raw vegetables or steamed vegetables. You know, whatever, however I can get vegetables into them. I'm like, I know, I know. Well, kids usually <laughs> so, raw vegetables yeah. are the best. Like I've found like all my kids will eat raw vegetables. When I cook them, it's like yeah. all of a sudden they're trash. I don't know. <laughs> I know, I know, me. I know. So I just like, I just, I try to, you know, when I can, I'll, I'll obviously like I have cut up vegetables in the fridge and that's the easiest thing because I can just throw mm-hmm. it on the plate. But if I'm really feeling like adventurous or I want to be a Pinterest mom, then I'll, then I'll steam some vegetables and, and make yeah, it with yeah. that. Uh, the Pinterest mom like saying hardly, hardly ever happens over here. <laughs> I'm like, you will yeah, no, eat what you exactly. get. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. and I found like, honestly, like if you're going to eat them just raw, like if you're going to eat raw broccoli, that's fine with me. Like go right ahead. It's super gross. Oh. But if, if, that's, if that's what you like, mm-hmm. then I'm all for it. It makes life easier for me. A hundred percent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nikki, for joining us today and talking about this really awesome topic of matrescence. I really appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.